This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. You know, when I watch a really great movie, and sometimes I wonder, why can't a sermon be like that? <laughs> Every year we go to see Handel's Messiah. And afterwards, I feel like, number one, I've just heard the most incredible sermon. And number two, I've really got to do some extra work on my sermon for that Sunday. There's just something so rich about the way that that music can communicate. And this is what I think is hard for preachers when we do get stuck in that kind of more logical process. The issue is our listeners really respond to the engagement of their imaginations to our delivery and our embodiment of the sermon. How do we place ourselves into the Bible scene and then invite our listeners in? This is this an amazing art and we're gonna to try to learn that today. I'm Kevin Miller, your host today with Monday Morning Preacher, and I'm so pleased to welcome as our guest, Allison Gerber. Welcome, Allison. Thanks, Kevin, thanks for having me. Well, as our listeners can now tell, you grew up in Australia near Sydney, and now you're the pastor of Second Congregational Church in what I would say Peabody Mass, but no, you would say Peabody. You would be removed from Peabody if you said Peabody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're very precious in Massachusetts about how to pronounce all the town names. It's definitely Peabody. Peabody. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And you are the pastor there of Second Congregational Church, a Four Seas Church. And before that, you earned your MDiv at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And I believe you overlapped with the late, great Haddon Robinson. I was only there. I was a first year MDiv student in his very last year being there. I did meet him. I had dinner with him at a welcoming students event where he made us go around the room and tell our testimony. I was something I was woefully not prepared for. <laughs> I, my testimony did not have a big idea. It was not Haddon Robinson approved. So <laughs> I feel like I... Missed my shot on that one, but I did get to meet him and I got to hear him preach in person. That was just, I mean, one of my like preaching highlights to be able to see Haddon Robinson in person one time. That's amazing. Well, as you know, Haddon was a, a pole star for all of the work that uh, began here at Preaching Today and has continued on. He's personally been a great influence to me. So anyway, you and your family moved to here to Massachusetts in 2010, and uh, your husband is a professor of psychology. Is that right? He he actually isn't at the moment. He okay. He's working as a data scientist now. He's a super big statistics nerd, and uh -huh. so that was kind of his area of psychology. And so now he's just doing that, working from home full time, just crunching numbers, which is his life dream. And we have very different kind of 
Yeah, I, I'm a words girl and he's a numbers guy. I was going to say, you kind of had the left brain, right brain thing going on, right? I mean, because you, you've you studied screenwriting and English lit. and <laughs> Right. It's a very strange mix in our household. Absolutely. Wonderful. Now, you you are the proud mom of two kids. Which, which way do they tilt? It's really interesting. So my son, he wants to make comic books, but ah. also be a robotics engineer. And my daughter is like a math whiz and loves writing poems. So I feel like they've done really good. They've got the best of both worlds. And anyway, I feel very, very proud of them. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you know, I wanted you to uh, be on the podcast, Allison, because I just, I got to say, I really enjoy listening to you preach. I have listened to you, uh, a number of your sermons, both on Preach Lee and on uh, the SoundCloud feed from uh, oh, Second Congregational. Goodness. Yeah, crazy enough. And uh, one thing that you do really well, it seems to me, is put me as your listener into the Bible scene. I know I was listening to your sermon on Two Ways to Weather a Storm about Paul's shipwreck mm-hmm. in the latter chapters of Acts. And man, I could feel the the salt spray. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as you're preparing a sermon... How do you use your imagination? Like, what is that like for you? Where does it come into your process? Right. Well, I am still a really big Haddon Robinson school of preaching person. So for me... And I could tell that, which is another great reason I wanted to have you on. (laughs) I, I mean, I truly, you know, I'm a convert to biblical preaching, and I think his method is really the best most effective method for clear communication. So I still really work through the steps that I learned in school, which is exegeting the text, reading the text, word studies, you know, studying the text, coming down to that core central idea. What is this about? What is it saying about what it's about? That's really my first phase of my sermon writing process. And I think that's important when we get on to talking about, you know, where can imagination go off track? So I think that piece being first is really important. Okay. So a real solid kind of foundation right. on the bedrock of the scripture. Right. Exactly. That for me, that is my number one passion. I want to be a clear biblical communicator. So from that, then we start to write and develop the sermon. And that's where my imagination, I guess, really comes into play. That's the time where I start to think, you know, how, especially if it's a narrative sermon, how am I going to tell this story? How am I going to enter into this story? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some of my background in writing poetry and screenwriting does affect that part because mm-hmm. I've learned you know, in screenwriting, you have to learn how to visualize scenes, right? You have to imagine where the actors are going to be, what's going to be in the, in the shot, how things are going to be played out. And so I'm imagining these scenes that then I'm writing in my sermon. But I've got as my foundation what I've learned from the scripture as the core message that I'm trying to get across. I guess if you want to talk a bit more about, like, how I, like, you know, develop some of the little pieces of imagination in my sermons, then for that, my first place is really research. I 
I do a lot of like ancient Near Eastern first century research. I love that stuff. I just drink it up. Yeah, and I could tell that, like, for example, in your sermon, Don't You Care If We Drown? I mean, you had obviously spent some time <laughs> in the cultural backgrounds. What resources do uh, you find helpful for that? Right. So actually, at that point, commentaries don't always help me. No, they don't. I, Often they, I feel that. They don't have the color that you want for a sermon. So for those things, I start usually with encyclopedias, like the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible. And that's what great pictures as well as information. Mm -hmm. There's a dictionary called the Dictionary of Daily Life in Antiquity that actually one of the editors, I think, was from Gordon College just near here. Okay. And uh, that's a really useful dictionary for understanding some of the day-to-day life things of the Bible. Bible backgrounds commentaries like the Zondervan Bible Backgrounds Commentary, the IVP Bible Backgrounds, they'll give you some of those things. Like I was thinking recently I did a sermon on Elijah and the widow, and I wanted to know what does the jug look like? What does the jar look like? I want people to be able to really see these things in their minds, to be able to touch them. Really my goal with all of this stuff is to bring the senses into the sermon. Thank you for saying that, Allison, because I think a lot of times as a preacher, I, I'll just own it for myself, I stop at jar and I don't take that extra step to say, what did it feel like? How big was it? Was it heavy? Could you, right. you know? <laughs> right. So I think like I look for all those little clues like, all right, Jesus was in a boat. Well, what did that boat look like? What features did it have? What were people doing to make this boat move around? You know, if there's a character in a story, do we know more information about Thomas from other stories in the Bible than just that he was a doubter? What's his backstory? Uh, So every character, every item, every location, I try to just do a little digging and And I kind of tell myself, you know, I don't have time to look up everything. But if every sermon I learn one unusual fact, (laughs) I will build myself up into a knowledge of facts that I can draw on as I try to write imaginative sermons. Awesome. I I just, I got to ask you this. I mean, so what, how do you put yourself in the sandals of a Bible character who is, quite unlike you, say. For example, I loved your sermon uh, about waiting from the life of Zechariah. Right. Now, Zechariah is this older man, kind of a little burned out and frustrated by life and by God's seeming inaction, and you seem this vibrant, younger woman. I mean, how did, how did you put yourself in into Zechariah's place? Well, one of the things that my poet friends would say makes you an effective poet is to be a great observer of the world. And so part of that work is actually getting to know people, right? There's an importance in the pastoral aspect of my pastoring that I have sat with older couples. I have sat with childless people who've waited. I've listened to their stories. And I think that drawing on that, on the life experience that I've observed, 
will help me to get into the mind of that character. And then I do also think there are some aspects of human nature that we just share. So I think in that sermon I talked about, you know, I'd been waiting too. I'd been waiting to become a pastor. Mm. And so I knew what it was to wait, just as we all know. So there's yeah. an aspect of observation and there's an aspect of just plain shared experience. Yeah. So, you know, I find that um, a lot of training for preaching really does work the kind of left side of the brain. I don't want to make too much of that, but, you know, theology, philosophy, really kind of conceptual mm. work. Like right now I'm reading uh, John of Damascus's exposition of the Orthodox faith, which I have never read. And, and that, that early Greek philosophy it trains me, my mind in a certain way, but it seems like it's a very different way than this kind of feel the feelings, see the scene, mm. get to know the person. So do you get yourself psyched up or do you listen to certain people who do this really well or what gets you in well, that frame of mind? Well, I do, I do listen to some other creative preachers. I love Mary Holst. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever listen to her preach. And it, I, yes, just a little. Yeah, she's really great at illustrations. She has a really great way of setting the scene of a, of a really tactile illustration. I love Fred Craddock. I know that he's not always orthodox, but in terms of his style, I'm very inspired by him. Yeah. But I also am a big consumer of the arts. And I think that keeps that part of me alive. You know, when I watch a really great movie and sometimes I wonder why can't a sermon be like that? <laughs> you know, every, every year, well, except for the last year, we go to see Handel's Messiah. And afterwards I feel like, number one, I've just heard the most incredible sermon. And number two, I've really got to do some extra work on my sermon for that Sunday because there's just something so rich about the way that that music can communicate and this is what I think is hard for preachers when we do get stuck in that kind of more logical thought process space the issue is our listeners really respond to the engagement of their imaginations of their senses they really respond to our delivery and our embodiment of the sermon. <laughs> but we're like really hung up on the cognitive aspects of the sermon. Yeah. And you know what? What's even worse than that, I think, Allison, is that there's almost this uh, assumed uh, cultural assumption, let me put it that way, among at least white evangelical preaching preachers that the conceptual philosophical is the better way to preach right. and that the other way is a lightweight way maybe appropriate for a youth retreat but not real preaching and i you know i hope you and i can take out at least one swing of an axe against that <laughs> oak sacred oak tree and, and fell it yeah it's you know warren we wisby yeah. He, he once talked about how, you know, the purpose of preaching isn't just to discuss a subject, but to achieve an object. And 
he actually said to do that requires imagination. Mm. It requires a certain imagination. So we're not just trying to get download some information to our congregants. We're looking to see their lives changed for them to come to the foot of Christ. Mm. And for that, I think it does require some imaginative work by the preacher to even just present to them a picture of Christ, welcoming them. So that's where I feel like, you know, if this is what we want to do, if we have this purpose to see lives change, some imagination is going to be required. Well, you you have convinced me. And so let's get a little bit into the practical then. One is like, where's the line between appropriately imaginative and maybe uh, what would I say, distracting or right. possibly even counterproductive. So for example, I'll just pull an example from my own preaching. I was once preaching on John 8, 1 through 11 about the story of the woman caught in adultery. And I just said, and she was clutching her robe. Okay, now that is not in John's text. That was my imagination because I assumed if she was quote, caught in the act of adultery. She hadn't had a lot of time to kind of get herself all back together again. Um, now, is that, would you say that's fair or foul How, if you were the ref? I would say that was fair. And my reason for that is because you're using an imaginative concept to bring to life a truth that is in the text, Right, you're explain. You're showing rather than telling. You're showing that she was caught in the act of adultery, and you're doing that by a physical thing, describing a physical thing. So you're still, in that sense, being a communicator of the text, and that's where I think the line is drawn for me. That's why I was saying before, my, it's really important for me to really nail down my big idea before I start working on my sermon because that works as kind of like a fence that says if I'm starting to starting to add some creative flourishes that are going to lead me in a direction that's against what the scripture is actually trying to get across then I know that I've gone too far but I actually want to say as a conservative evangelical person my imagination probably is reined in a lot more because I have this value of the scripture, and I think that's probably true for a lot of evangelical preachers, we actually put the brakes on our imagination too much rather than too little. So I would just encourage- uh, It's out of like this good reverence before the sacred text. Right, right. So I would actually encourage people, try to let yourself go free first. You know, what you're writing on Thursday night, Saturday night, that's not necessarily gonna be preached on Sunday. So let yourself go a little free and then come back and say, okay, is this true to the, the central thrust of this text? And also, I think one other thing is, you know, you're asking, where is it too far? I, I think if I'm starting to give details that my church is going to get really hung up on, you know, like, and, and I think you just know, right, if it's like they're going to find this to be, like, really sticky, that's not worth it. It's not worth it. You don't want to draw your attraction to your imagination and not 
to the biblical story. So I don't know. I, I think I say go a little go a little creative and then rein it in later because I think we will rein ourselves in as evangelicals pretty well. Yeah, here's a, a just kind of a case study for you. Maybe you could comment. I'm preaching this weekend on the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness from Mark 1. That's the lectionary gospel. Yeah. Maybe you're preaching that too. I don't know. No, but I, so one of my Anglican friends is, so yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So anyway, so Mark is, I think, the only gospel writer to mention that Jesus was with wild animals. And so the commentaries are saying, well, this is a reference to Adam being with the animals in the garden. This is a reference to Daniel being in the lion's den, but being protected. Or even they go so far as to say, well, Mark made this up to place Jesus like the Isaiahic figure, uh, you know, with the peaceful lion and the lamb. Well, I'm an evangelical. I'm not going to do that. I, you know, I believe there were wild animals out there. But uh, so I've been wondering, like, in the 32 words of Mark's description of the temptation, which is so terse, he makes Hemingway look long-winded, is like, how much do I spend on the wild animals? I mean, he spent about a fourth of his story, but I'm not going to do that much. Right. Do I, I, like, I feel like I at least need to mention a couple of the animals, like leopards and snakes. Right. Maybe well, talk about how they he was in danger from them, but I don't want to do too much because Mark doesn't tell us exactly what to make of it all. I don't know. What would you do with that? Well, I guess, first of all, my first question would be, what wild animals? And even if you think nobody is wondering this, I'll tell you what, as a mom of an 11-year-old boy, he is wondering that. <laughs> he wants to know what wild animals. Tell me about the wild animals. So that would be my first question, what yeah. wild animals. My second question would be, what is Mark doing try with this? right? Why is he telling you that there are wild animals there? Is it that Jesus was tempted? Is it that Jesus was like Adam? Those things are going to color how you tell the story, right? So sometimes I'll like make these, I don't know if they're too subtle, but like subtle allusions to other Bible stories. So you can kind of paint the picture that he's in this like Edenic setting or that he's in a setting where he's really in danger. And I think then you're telling the story like Mark wants it to be told. You're communicating through describing more what he was trying to communicate by giving you that information. Right. Okay. So, for example, I'm just brainstorming here with you. Yeah. <laughs> So if, if the Garden of Eden theme is what we think Mark was doing, and I don't know, then we might say something like, this was no Garden of Eden. This was the barren, as barren and rocky as the surface of the moon, where leopards prowled at night, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't think, I don't think it's excessive to describe that because Mark goes to the point of telling you that. And secondly, because it helps put your congregation into that space where Jesus is being tempted, which sometimes feels like such a distant space. It's like Jesus got driven out and it's like he disappears for a while and then comes back. But you're going to help them disappear with Jesus to this strange place where Jesus is 
by describing these tactile things. And I would go so far to like describe me personally, I would describe the ground, the plants, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. Because I want to paint this picture so that they are listening and seeing where Jesus is and the kind of threat that there is to his life as the spirit takes care of him there. Yeah. Are you up for uh, guest preaching for me this Sunday? (laughs) (laughs) No, I've got this Sunday off and I'm going to enjoy it. Next week, I'm starting in a series in Mark. I'm really excited to be just back doing really what is my number one passion, which is telling Jesus stories. So I'm going to start with the story of the healing of the leper. That's going to be my first Sunday in Mark next fantastic week. look forward to listening to that one well is there anything that you've sort of learned in your uh time there at second congregational about preaching with a biblical imagination or just something that you didn't know when you started out hmm that's a great question this is very this is a tricky one you know my church is particularly creative like it, we have a lot of creative folks in the church and it, we attract creative people. I've, you know, I've never seen a church that has so many artists and theater people and musicians. And I think that I've learned that there are people in the world who are so yearning to have the Bible come alive for them, Mm. that it's always been this kind of stuffy book of rules and information, but through imagination, one is actually able to communicate, this is your book. This is for you, for your life. And you're a part of this story. Mm. And, I, and I think that I think that we're kind of making a space for that at Second Congregational, which is just really exciting for me. Well, that's getting me excited too. Thank you so much, Allison, for joining us today. This is Kevin Miller, your host for Monday Morning Preacher. Check us out at preachingtoday.com. And you can email me or Matt Woodley. Uh, If you like today's podcast, email me. If you didn't, email Matt Woodley at mmp at preachingtoday.com. And check out Allison's blog site, Preachly. That's preachly.org. And Allison, right before we go, tell us a little bit about Preachly. Well, it's just a space where I have thoughts about preaching. I'll put them up there or sermons or different preaching events that I'm doing, although there hasn't been much really in 2020, but hopefully later in 2021. Thanks again, Allison Gerber. And this has been Monday Morning Preacher from Preaching Today. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.